0: Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guest today is Chris Dixon, a good friend, an editorial magazine designer who has worked across some of the world's most influential publications, including Adbusters, New York Magazine, and now as the creative director for Condé Nast's flagship title, Vanity Fair. Chris is one of the icons of contemporary publishing. I've always found magazine design to be such an art form, and Chris has spent his entire career on the front lines of publishing during the most revolutionary period the industry has ever had. Welcome, Chris.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here. It's good to see you. It's
0: good to see you, too. It's so cool, because we we both had a bit of a past of um, living in Saskatchewan. And Vancouver, actually. Vancouver, too. And we come, we came into contact through Adbusters in Vancouver. Um, I can't remember if I came out to Vancouver and we met, or we did it over the phone or something. But we didn't end up doing anything. I don't think. I think we
1: did finally meet at the AIGA conference.
0: That's right, and in I, Washington or something.
1: Because you and I had talked, and then we were—I was on the board, and I was organizing a, a conversation about magazines.
0: Um, well, talk about yeah, kind of growing up, and how did you how did you get into design in the first place?
1: Um, well, I did a right after high school. I mean, I'd done the arts and my family was in the arts. My brother was a did film and television directing. And my dad was a theater professor. Essentially, that's a fine arts course. And so, you know, it was around it. But I did a bachelor's degree in psychology when I graduated, just a, a general bachelor's degree. And then I was taking some extra classes in uh, photography and painting. And then I sort of just started discovering that there was this field um, called design and what it was. And I was looking through books and then I looked at different schools and there was a school in Vancouver, the Emily Carr Institute of art and design. And they had this great course and it was, it was a, for another bachelor's degree. And yeah, the courses look great. It was photography and it was some marketing stuff and typography. And it was just this great mix. And, uh, so I applied and, um, flew out there for a portfolio review and then waited a couple of months, and then got the letter that I got in. So I was really excited. So I moved out to Vancouver mm-hmm.
0: and did that. So did you come out of that being a what a graphic designer?
1: I guess so. Yeah, that was the the degree they call it was communication design. Mm-hmm. So combined with that degree and then a previous psychology degree, I had That's sort a of a good base. Yeah. yeah, and and it was good because the students at Emily Carr, I was imagining, I was at that point probably 24 when i was going there because i'd already done a degree and i was thinking that everyone was going to be you know 18 years old and but the way they were doing the program they wanted like this wider reach of students and people that had tried things wanting to design so everyone was actually sort of like in their mid-20s to like late 20s so uh, it was a great mix of people and we were everyone was kind of coming at it from a cultural point of view and a business point of view it wasn't sort of it, you
0: know the context was great mm. um and did you get into magazines straight after college
1: Yeah, that was sort of the, I guess, the luck of the draw, which was one of the professors there, he would do projects with Adbusters magazine with the editor, Kala Lassen. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, so I actually met, Kala came up to the class and gave us an assignment. I think it was to do something for like Buy Nothing Day or something environmental or related to consumers. I'm sort of like activist graphic design and so we did a course in that and then I'd met him and then when I graduated the same professor said oh they're going to hire an art director there because their guy just left and so he said go meet with him so I met with him and it was a month after graduation and it was straight into the art director's bond.
0: And did you have because it was an activist magazine with a really strong uh, perspective on you know changing the world and doing good etc. Yeah. Is that something that was in you as well that kind of or just was this a magazine opportunity? I think it was a bit of both. I mean, I wasn't like a rabid, like climbing over cars,
1: you know, and <laughs> Molotov cocktails and that kind of thing. Oh. But I <laughs> I was, uh, I did do my, I did have an interest in that. And my, I remember my final project at Emily Carr was a project I did for, I mean, as a student project, was for Amnesty International, like a, a kind of exhibition. Like I just thought it was an interesting sort of client to design for. And it was ultimately would be, you know, I, I preferred projects like that to, you know, that had content to doing like, you know, a series of like dish soap, you know, packaging or something. That was sort of my take on it. So it wasn't, and so I I mean, I feel like it was a little more, not radical, but a little more out there than I preferred. But I think when, after a year or so there in talking with the editor, he kind of thought that was a strength for me because I looked at it a bit more objectively Mm -hmm. and I kind of came into it like, well, this is what they want to accomplish, but, you know, this is, people see it this way and maybe we should, like, package it a bit more, um, you know, a little more cool, a little more hip and so that, your know, people will look at it not as kind of this, like, scrappy Xerox, you know, so it kind of looked at it that way. So it, I was sympathetic to it, but I wasn't living yeah. it, which is probably better.
0: Is it still going?
1: Yeah, they still put them out. I see wow. covers everywhere. It's very, it's kind of gone back to a little, a little scrappier and more, a little wilder looking. I think I kind of, like, kind of got it very, I don't know what the word is, but it was sort of like cooled down and like we were getting in good photography and the design was, you know, we did worked really hard on the design. Um, So it was sort of more, it it kind of worked its way into the establishment
0: more to some degree. Probably um, low budgets, I guess, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, there was no money. I mean, it was just me. There was no other designer or anything. Um, And we did everything.
0: It's interesting because I met with Matt Willey who used to work for me in uh, London and obviously in the New York Magazine now. Uh, sorry, New York Times. New York Times Magazine. Yep. Um, but similar kind of background, kind of working on kitchen table publications with no, not much of a team behind it. It's, right. kind of, it's interesting how everyone's kind of grown into...
1: Fully bigger fledged, and bigger, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> with big teams around them.
1: Yeah, big teams and bigger budgets. Yeah. So
0: living in Vancouver, obviously, um, you know, some people love Saskatchewan, but Vancouver's a beautiful city. Yeah. Uh, did you take, make the most of that, like lifestyle-wise?
1: Probably not. I mean, I think if I was there now, I'd be doing a lot more, you know, kayaking and hiking and stuff. When you're in art school, you know, you're just dressed in black and you're stressed all the time. And you're like, (laughs) it also rains a lot there. So there is like six months where you're kind of like just huddled up working. yeah. And so, but in the summers where it was beautiful and like, um, you could always, you know, even just a walk down to the school or work, you would walk along, like go down a beach or uh, waterfront. Mm. Um, But yeah, we got out to the water and we did things. I mean, we were busy because I graduated and then I went straight to the Adbusters, which was, and that was a big, lot of work too, because that was like full on, I mean, it was only six times a year, but still it was a lot of work. And, um, but yeah, we enjoyed it.
0: It was a nice city. So how did you end up moving to New York? How did that come about?
1: Well, I did three years of Adbusters and I was sort of like, you know, I'd read stories over the years of, I don't know who said it, like David Carson or Michael Beirut, like I did this project, and I would mail it out to all the you know people I love, and they would see it, and just sort of like share, you know, sort of share what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I actually had like a big mailing list of investors to all these different people in New York, um, and a few other in London, just to sort of share it. And so I came out to New York for I think a conference with with another friend of mine, Lauren, and I just we ended up going around to a bunch of places with my portfolio. I put together a bunch of stuff, and I met with Janet Frolik at uh, the New York Times Magazine, and she, and I also met with. People at Rolling Stone and and I did actually meet with Michael Bayrou at Pentagram, but then not so much about that. We just had lunch. Um and <laughs> I wasn't expecting the, you know, the partner call.
0: <laughs> yeah. Not yet. We were just catching up. not yet. Yeah. Still waiting. Yeah.
1: And I think um but I went to and then I Janet kept in my portfolio and she said, Do you want to come out for the summer? I think it was in March or something, for a few projects and we'll see where it goes from there. So I kind of packed it all up and uh Yeah, just like in the movies with a big suitcase and a place to rent and came.
0: So did you put it out there to the world that you're looking to move on or were you specifically homing in on New York?
1: I think just New York um, because I knew some other people here. And also my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, was going to do her graduate school in Montreal, Mm -hmm. which is just, you know... 45 minute flight from here and there wasn't really any place to work for me there so we thought so if I did New York she did Montreal we could kind of go back and forth Yeah. so we did that and that worked out fine so you got the role there New York? yeah I got at New York Times yeah I got there so that I mean that was great because I got to learn I'd been doing everything by myself for three years so and, was it New York
0: Times? yeah New York, York Times oh.
1: magazine yeah this okay. was the first and then I went to New York a little bit later oh okay so this was like my first like drop in it was the New York Times and um but I feel like a lot of people that I met there kind of, I came back to in the end because Adam Moss was the editor of the New York times magazine then. And then he went on to be the New York editor Mm -hmm. and Jody Kwan was the photographer, one of the photo editors and she went on to be the photo director. So, and then Kira Pollock, who I'm working with now was also there at the time. So I met a lot of people, learned a lot from everyone there, you know, it was like weekly and obviously a whole much, much bigger production. So I just kind of stayed, you know, worked hard and, uh, Learned what I could, and then I left there and did some freelancing for like a a year. There was a bunch of projects that had come up, Mm -hmm. and I worked on those just with renting a studio. And then I did like a magazine for Lan Airlines in Chile, somehow came to me. They wanted an in-flight magazine, they never had one. Someone had got my name, and I ended up working with them and like flying down there a couple times to Santiago.
0: So magazines has been your thing from, from day one. Yeah, pretty much.
1: I think I... I kind of went in and out of a couple ad agencies doing like, you know, like one month gigs or, you know, two Mm. month gigs. But then I would just always land back. And then when I heard that Adam Moss was going to New York Magazine and Luke Heyman got hired as the uh, creative director there, I emailed him because I I had met him, you know, just socially. And I said, if you're looking for like a deputy, you know, number two position there, let me know. And then he said, yeah, come by. So we talked a few times and then, yeah, so that's the job I got was sort of like the Mm. number two.
0: Well, that's cool. I mean, obviously, uh, during this whole period from leaving college at buses that you started commissioning other creatives. Um, what, what's that like? And obviously, today you've kind of like in a huge role at Vanity Fair, uh, and you've been there a while. And, and it just—you must be working with some of the best people in the in the business.
1: Yeah, I think that you. I guess what you realize is people are—they're keen to work on content that they're interested in, or projects they want to work with, or people they want to work with. So I would just grab people I liked, and they would do you know, even for covers. And we worked with book jacket people like Rodrigo Corral and Paul Sayre. And, um, and that was sort of for New York. And then now it's into, yeah, bigger and bigger photographers. And we get to work with like Barry Blid and all the great illustrators and graphic novelists and things like that. So that's a great, it's sort of that collaboration is kind of what it's all about.
0: It was an easy uh, adjustment We're coming from Vancouver to New York. I mean, what's it like for you living here?
1: Yeah, it was definitely took an adjustment. and it was the summers were like incredibly hot and humid and loud. And then it was, you know, freezing in the winter, you know, the, everything in New York is just a bit, it can be a bit of a struggle, just like getting around, figuring it out, getting a taxi, getting through the streets, getting, Mm. getting an apartment, getting the lease. Everything is, I mean, it's probably the same everywhere, every big city, but it's kind Mm. of like, you're always sort of, and we used to talk people that, you know, we would be all in our early thirties at the time. And like, (laughs) Renting and trying to figure out our next rental thing, and then, but you'd have friends like in other cities that were like buying big houses, and because they were, you know, it sort of a whole different, um, mm. a whole different way of life in those places. Yeah, so yeah.
0: Did you do the marathon on Sunday? I
1: did. It's <laughs> a good segue.
0: Yeah, I did two days I know ago. You're a marathon man.
1: Uh, not really. I just somehow took on that challenge, and I did it. I did it last year, and I did it this year. It was good. It was good this year. It was. um it's really yeah You it's kind of a blur now but you just kind of just keep going and you like walk a bit and drink some water and stretch it out and walk and run and walk run 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 and you just kind of keep going so it takes hours and hours and hours but you get to go you go through the whole city it's amazing
0: so is that your thing is that the thing that keeps you fit and kind of and i like well-being? running
1: yeah i think we've chatted over the last like four or five years i started running more I started doing sort of half marathon races and like 10ks. I thought it was a fun, it was like a good project, and uh, no, I really enjoy it. And then I started two years ago. I started running to work because I live in Brooklyn, and I was researching like run commuting. I was like, "What well, is this a thing?" And you can just get these lightweight backpacks, put all your work clothes in them, run to work. Find a gym like right near your work. You can go in and change and shower, mm-hmm. and then come over. So, and it's like it takes 35, 40 minutes, which is usually faster than trying to take the subway.
0: Fantastic. What a great way to start the day. So you've been working at a Vanity Fair for seven years now, which is a long time, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah, it kind of went, it's gone by really quickly. I mean, there's been a lot of, it was slow and not slow, but pretty steady the first number of years because, uh, you know, the editor was Graydon Carter and he'd been there for 20 years. It was sort of set up. But there was a whole other bunch of challenges at that time because you were coming in and trying to like affect some change with within a structure that was uh, quite established. And that's kind of why I took it. People were... Because in New York, I had all the freedom and we could do weekly covers and you do type cover and you would do an experimental... Mm-hmm. You know, you could kind of try everything. And obviously, Vanity Fair was like a little bit more of a legacy magazine and had a certain look and there was, you know, financial considerations and so but i thought that was a challenge i mean you probably get a lot more of this um in your work but like taking an established brand or company and sort of examining it and looking at ways to improve it you know and these like little moving the dial a little bit here and there and just to sort of tweak it or bring it up to date i, I thought mm-hmm. that was a challenge to me more than just being like you can do whatever you want yeah and there's
0: a new editor now and with that yeah is there going to be a new direction coming from that
1: yeah, I think that's already sort of happened. I think, I mean, I give you some of those magazines. We did, like through the grading years, we tried to, we brought in some new typefaces and we upped, we were just sort of inching along with different things. And then I think people noticed that and um, it was a good kind of like refreshing. And then the new editor came in um, last January. So getting up on a year and uh, Radhika Jones, and she's great. And so, yeah, she really has a whole other take on on the content. And the look so we did a redesign that came out with the September issue. I think it was the um yeah, I saw that looked great michelle williams issue yeah, which had Actually very different yeah, we sort of like you know it's a different essentially a new client you know on the project, and she w- had a different aesthetic and she was and it but obviously it needed to align with what we want i wanted to do or not wanted to, but i could you know i could i felt like i could um
0: See what she was like was looking there outrage doing. if you know, with your consumers that no, we didn't get any outrage.
1: We did I mean, we cleaned it up. this was a bigger push this redesign. we've there's new typefaces and the definitely the photography changed in the illustration because we got in a, sort of a whole new photography team. Uh, Kira Pollock came from Time magazine and she was the director of photography there. and she'd also been at the New York Times magazine for a long time. um but she came in as deputy editor, so she kind of has a higher perch to oversee this stuff um we have a clinton cargill as the visuals director so he's commissioning this sort of day-to-day but i think we've you know there was a fairly established group of photographers that have been with vanity fair for 10 or 15 Mm -hmm. years um and i think we've we're we're bringing in a lot of different people now
0: and i mean it's a monthly so you've worked on weeklies before is it is got kind of a you must have a rhythm now of um until someone says they want to refresh or re- yeah. redesign the issue. Every couple of years.
1: I think the last year, the rhythms, there hasn't really been a rhythm. It's been a lot kind of uh, up and down, but in a good way because you're getting a lot of different new people and new rhythms and new um, sort of deadlines. But there is a, you know, there's a bigger lead time on things. So you everything gets commissioned early. And then they we try to do like a, a gentle rollout through the weeks, like design this portion one week, the next week, the next week, and get it done. But I think inevitably, inevitably, with these things, it all gets pushed towards the end, and so it all sort of becomes a crunch at the end. Um, I know, because thinking back, I'm amazed at what, how how much we could get done in four days at New York Magazine. It mm. would be like Monday to Thursday night, you would just crank it out,
0: mm.
1: um, and then uh, so it definitely is a, is a is a more manageable pace. Um, and the, but the thing about Vanity Fair that's changed in the last three or four years, which is good, is that we've Is the, you know, the magazine and the company, they kind of look to you expand the whole brand. And so, and they get different revenue streams and things other than just the print magazine. And Mm -hmm. so, and I get to work on all that stuff and oversee it. So we have, they've got, uh, there's a big Oscar party and we do some work on that. And there's two big conferences now that, that Vanity Fair does just in the last three years. There's one in LA, kind of big media business conference. And then another one in New York on, um, called founders fair, like people that found, um, found companies. Um, and the website, we're trying to evolve as much as we can. And there's actually, there's podcasts and things. And we do like, the, you know, design for those and icons. And so it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of depending on the month we have, the this group of designers will kind of jump in and out a lot of these different things. And so how many, how many people are in your team? It's about 15, mm-hmm. all in all 16 people. There's also with Condé Nast, they've moved all the art departments to one floor. So you have all the art departments for every Condé Nast magazine are in one big group now, which is an interesting move. They did about two years ago. So you share resources or not? Yeah, you share resources and conversations and people if need be. And people can also work on different some other projects that come through. It was kind of sort of the new model that um, they came up with, which was sort of like if they get outside... Clients or projects on things you know related to Condé Nast, but not related to the magazines. Mm-hmm. They'll pull in the f- teams from a few magazines and make a new team to work on that. All the teams are together. It's you know so it goes Vanity Fair, but then you'll have the whole Vogue team, and then the whole GQ team, and then the whole uh, Glamour team, and then the whole Architectural Digest team, and then the whole Travel Condé Nast Traveler. You know, so it's like as you go around the floor. Wow, so wired in there as well. They're in San Francisco. Okay. And the New Yorker isn't there because they are on this whole other production cycle because they're weekly, um, so they stay together on on their floor. So I mean, I think it's it's been an interesting transition. It's not you don't really notice it day to day, but I think the benefits are good. It's it's nice to sort of work with other creatives on that floor, and then mm-hmm. but obviously you know it's important your relationship with the editor, so you kind of have to mix both.
0: And so you're finding yourself getting involved more in the in the Vanity Fair kind of online and kind of I guess.
1: Yeah, we've Uh, done. I mean, the
0: version. There was a push a few
1: years ago putting together an iPad version, and we still have one, but I don't think it became sort of like you know the next big thing. Um, But it's it's there and it works. I think the it's kind of more like the um, just the offshoots of the brand. I mean, you have the one thing you have with these things is with these big magazine brands like Vogue or Vanity Fair, GQ is sort of like they've all got like a hundred years of legacy and reputation behind them, and so there's a certain kind of world that surrounds them and then what they can do with that world is, um, that's what's being explored now. So I think, you know, this This conference that we have in Los Angeles has been very successful. They bring in all the best uh, people in every technology and I Vanity Fair has that kind of mix of business and media and fashion and uh, entertainment, it's kind of like a classic general interest magazine. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people don't look, think that they look to vanity fair for a big technology story a bit media story but we we have them and we have the writers and the other thing they did last year was they broke up the website into these um three sort of web verticals like sort of standalone brands um and so we developed each one of those things and they're all doing well but one specifically that's called the hive it was the vanity fair hive and it was the kind of business and media politics um I mean, they call it web vertical it's basically it's its own standalone site and um they've you know they hired a great team they've got writers editors on it reporters and they're posting uh daily content and doing great with it and then that kind of feeds back into the magazine as well some of those stories come in and, um so in that sense uh, it's been great working on those projects as well
0: do you think there'll be a, a day in your lifetime that there's no print
1: you never know but i feel like they at condi nass they feel they sort of uh, believe in in it as a certain aspect of um of uh, of the plan i feel like they believe in the the model of it and as part of you know everything else because there's obviously a lot of video and there's websites and there's events and there's everything that kind of comes mm-hmm. together um but i feel like I mean, it's definitely possible.
0: So, Chris, do you get invited to all these amazing parties and launches all over town?
1: Yeah, there's a bit There's a bit of that. There's usually, I mean, the biggest Fanny Fair party is the Oscar party that they've been doing for 20 years now, which is, and it's in L.A., it's after the Oscars. It's like giant thousand people come. Um, and so I was, I've been going to that um, every year I've been. So the first year of that was definitely felt like something like, Kind of a big wow moment because you wa- walked into it. We would go out there. We you w- would watch the Oscars at a different party and then come to where the Vanity Fair party was, and then you would just walk into a room and it would just be like Robert De Niro was there and Owen Wilson and you know, wow. and the mix is like part of the you know the way the magazine mixes um different personalities. The party was what made it how they plan it you would have like there'd be big sports stars there and there would be people from media there and there would be you know so it was sort of like anyone comedians would be there um so and and obviously people from hollywood um so that was sort of you can kind of walk around but at some point it kind of felt like you were at you know you don't know anyone though <laughs> and you kind of walk around and after like walking around for an hour you kind of feel like you're you know, it's like you've been invited to someone else's prom.
0: No, so it's, that's interesting. Such a such a, an amazing world to, to be surrounded by all those celebrities and, and to be designing a publication which is all about them and their lives and um, that, that world. How do you engage with that? I mean, how do you kind of deal with that, your life versus that kind of the... The, I'm not saying your life isn't like that, but I mean, like you said, you, you went to this event and then you didn't know anybody. Well, you knew who they were, but they didn't right. know who you were. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's probably similar to like the process of making a movie, which would probably be, most people would think would be fairly glamorous, but I do know that it's like a lot of hard work and a lot of sitting in a trailer and a lot of, uh, you know, all nighters in the editing room and mm. drinking coffee and arguing. So <laughs> I feel like when the file... you know, the creative teams that put together movies are not, you know, out. Um, Drinking cocktails every night, it no, sort no, of no.
0: yeah, okay, that's a good analogy. <laughs> but you must—it must be incredible to see uh, the the shoots coming in um, or going to the shoots, or seeing you know, working with the, some of the world's most photo- incredible photographers.
1: And the, you know, it's an equally uh, the, all the the editors and writers and and visual people kind of collaborate to put together these things. But even, I mean, two months ago. The cover story was on michael b jordan the you know young actor and they did a shoot with him um out in montauk out on uh out on long island um on the water and they ended up going in and just had him in i think i sent you that issue he's sitting in the water he's sort of like submerged Mm. for the shot Um, but there were outtakes that with, which we ran on the editor's letter of with the editor Radika standing out in the water with him, like laughing and talking (laughs) with him up to you know, sort of like up to uh, knees in the water as well. Um, and so, yeah, those are great moments with these people that are like sort of internationally known, um, and they can put them into these situations. And I think the, you know, people believe in Vanity Fair and they want to partake and they want to be involved in, you know, in, in. And be a part of the, the the shoot and the creation of the story for themselves. So, mm. um,
0: yeah, it's a real art form um, putting together a magazine, and it's definitely a team effort. And the the I guess the historic. I mean, it's a great kind of. It's certainly New York. There's an incredible um, history of, you know, magazine design, uh, magazine covers, and that. Like I look at the New York magazine or all the, all those main magazines, and they've been around for what over a hundred years.
1: New York's been around fifty now. When I was there, okay. we did all that wrong. Yeah, <laughs> no, we did our fortieth anniversary for when I was at New York. We did forty, and I think they just did fifty. Mm. Um, Vanity Fair was nineteen thirteen, wow, and it it was, um, it was called Dress in Vanity Fair the first time, um, and then it kind of cl- actually closed down for a while in the thirties, and then came back. I think Vogue since like nineteen ten or something like that. Um, GQ was probably the 50s or 60s. So, um, yeah, and I think they've built, uh, but it's true, they have a New Yorker is, I don't know how many, New Yorker must be 80 years, 100 years, something like that. Mm. Um, I think. So it's true, those, those, and the New Yorker is actually doing really well, as well as a study of like essentially a very old school ultimately feeling thing it's got very good subscription business and very loyal readers and it's it's built its structure which is like great 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 writing and it's put together in this beautiful simple reading way with great illustrated covers Mm -hmm. and they do great illustrations inside and they have great photography too but it's basically i think and, and that's actually a good lesson because what they do is the content becomes ultimately the king because that can flow on any medium. And so I think a lot of the most successful um stories at some of these big publications online anyway are the ones that just like people want to read that and they want to read it, they're gonna read it in the magazine, they're gonna read it online. When we did um at Vanity Fair we had did the Caitlyn Jenner story. Do you remember that?
0: Jenner? Oh yeah, yeah, that cover. Yeah. The yeah, cover. that was like the world saw that cover. Yeah,
1: the World From Exploded the that story was everyone wanted to read that story about there was sort of these rumors that this was happening and then it happened. And then we had the photograph on the cover. And just in terms of pure, I mean, it was a great story for a number of reasons. But it was a very, very successful story online for Vanity Fair. Meaning that like millions and millions of people read it and wanted to read it. Um, and I think that's what The New Yorker does as well. And Vanity Fair does as well Is you get great stories and great writers. And then you put these stories out and people just want to engage with it. So that's sort of where the work needs to go. Yeah, how
0: often does that happen? Cuz there was a, there's a Demi Moore cover too, wasn't there? Was that Vanity fair?
1: That was vanity fair. That was a long time ago. That was a long time. Yeah, that was probably 20 25 years ago. Jeez. There was and we did a Serena Williams cover like two or three years ago. She was um pregnant. Annie Leibovitz shot that. Um and yeah, I feel like and then I but I feel like the that there's also been a, I think people are appreciating the magazine cover and book covers as well. Cause they can travel. they travel online so much. They, mm-hmm. there's something you can go on Instagram and Twitter mm-hmm. and it can kind of quickly go around and becomes kind of like a little emblem of the, mm. of the story or the magazine. I think a lot more people see a magazine cover now than they did before. I don't know whether they buy it, but they can just travel when a new issue comes up on Instagram of any of these things, when you have, you know, 15, 18 million followers on Instagram and they post a new cover um, and then that gets sort of shared everywhere. That's, I think that's kind of the changing nature of the cover too, is creating a little more of a story with the cover and do something unexpected.
0: And does that change? Cause music's like that too, on, on, um, all the different music platforms, you're, you're seeing a cover, a fraction yeah. of the size, like a, a postage stamp, if, if, if that right. size versus a 12 inch right. album, uh, you got still got the large format magazine, um, are you designing the cover with that in mind where you scaled it down?
1: Well, we strip it down. Or, I mean I don't larger to be
0: smaller. It doesn't
1: have to go as small as the iTunes album cover. I think with Instagram, you know, you can get a solid like mm. two inch by three inch or whatever that size is in you know, even just looking on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um so we will strip we re tinker with the cover for Instagram, like strip out some of the lines and simplify it so it's more of a punch. Okay. Um and put more lines on the newsstand cover. But it's we'll we'll simplify it for the kind of the quick hit on Instagram. Because that's, I think, where a lot of people encounter those things now.
0: So is the cover still the kind of the final thing that you guys do? Is it like the last thing and you go, "That, that's it, that's the one, that's the...
1: Yeah, I think you know. we work on it through the whole month. And then there's different lines written, cover lines written. We try different things, try different photographs. It does, it really becomes the... I think, you know, if people see it as a very important part of the process and the magazine. Sorry, I'm rubbing the table. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so a lot of work goes into it, and it kind of comes with the face of that of of that issue, you know, the kind of front face of it, and they use it for, um, yeah, all the promotion kind of revolves around it and of that person. So, it's yeah, I think in some ways it's sort of take some of these things have taken on a new life with the, in the, with the digital, combining with the digital front, and I think with any of these things, when you have great teams and everyone collaborates, when we have like great web editors and, and web photo editors and they're collaborating with us and with the other editors it's sort of like that's how you continue to put, put together the great work
0: mm-hmm. Um, you've got you've got a kid I do yeah how old is he? eight eight cool and how does it uh, how do you find a balance like with what you do are you working long hours and stuff?
1: it's not so bad at Vanity Fair New York was when I was at New York Magazine we would work till like 10 or 11 most nights mm-hmm. and then through the week um are you a couple of nights you would work till six or seven so there was definitely and at that time the first four years at new york i didn't we didn't i didn't have uh any kids so it was kind mm. of like you just did it it was a little more challenge when he came along and i went to vanity fair i think when he was one so there's definitely been a much more of a balance now and i think that's when i got more into like running and trying to sort of round things off a little bit mm. um so yeah i definitely try out you know i usually try to get home by Sort of 6.30, you know, quarter to seven at the latest and then spend the nights uh, with the family. And I take him to school every morning, which is great. Oh, cool. So I walk him there, drop him off, say goodbye, and then I run to work. So mornings are nice. You well, know. he's
0: crying, Dad, don't leave no, me. No, don't here. leave me. No, he's happy. Now he's in grade <laughs> three.
1: He just kicks me out. Oh, cool. But it's a good, I feel like the, you know, the evolution, I think people kind of settle into New York and figure out how to live here. It, there's probably a, like a stereotype either of like, frantic people on the subway with, like, stress and rushing everywhere. Or, you know, people on high rises, like, in midtown, you know, at cocktail parties every night. But I think for a lot of people, and a lot of people end up in Brooklyn, too, which I don't know how much time you've spent out there, but it's just, like, they're all great little neighborhoods. Yeah, that's cool. There's trees and brownstones and little coffee shops. And so, in each, neighbor, each neighborhood has its own personality and the people that live there, and it sort of becomes just this little village. And so, mm-hmm. we've been in this neighborhood called Fort Greene, Um, for like 12, 13 years now, we bought into a small building there. And, um, and so the neighbors you see around and the people at the corner store, and it's like, I mean, it's ultimately like living in a small town. And so then it's a very kind of simple life in that way. I get up and walk to, you know, my son to school and say bye and jog over the Brooklyn Bridge into the city. Um, so you kind of make it, you know, take what you have and make it create what you want out of it rather than, um, maybe what you imagine it would be
0: you still get a buzz when you see the magazine on the newsstand?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's great to see. It's good to see. A lot of times our covers get put onto the news or on the entertainment shows. You kind of see it around as it goes through where people are talking about it. Um, And there is that instant gratification, I think, with magazines that just gets out there. I mean, even at Condé Nast, people are doing some other advertising work as part of what we're doing. And it's sort of that feeling that either you're constantly like, pitching something or there's an hour, you know, there's a year like time on a project until it's done. So there isn't that. There's always that thing with a magazine that every month it's going to be done.
0: Um, just in terms of fear, fear, procrastination, which kind of normally comes comes up in the design process when you're doing something new, when you get a, you know, a new brief, a new challenge um, and, a, and a kind of a maybe a, a movable deadline on a magazine like you you're working on, you've been on it for seven plus years. Is there any? Does ever fear kind of kick in, or any time or room for procrastination, or is it pretty much a well, you know, you don't experience that anymore? It's
1: pretty. No, I think it's. There's still all there. I mean, you have every little thing to figure out. There's just something every day, whether it's
0: um, something is changing
1: with the cover or there's a new story that comes in, and we basically have to. We read all the stories before we, you know, create the visuals because you have to understand what you're putting together. So you actually do a lot of reading and then you have to quickly come up with ideas so that I mean, there is that same stress that just comes up of like trying to it's that initial like nudge into figuring something out whether you have to go in and like just start doing some sketches or try some stuff that doesn't work for a day and then figure it out but i think that same and you feel like you might not ever get there um they're they're definitely at the beginning of any of those projects as part of a day that goes by we have i think there's i think i experienced that procrastination not so much, I think I just usually keep working through it, and there isn't really time to there's just always something else happening that needs to be done so mm. uh, you know, and when you're working like you're surrounded with twenty thirty forty people, and stuff's just churning all the time, then I guess you can procrastinate in the evenings, but other than that, you just have to get it done yeah,
0: yeah. um, and what about um the future? What does it look like? I mean, do you gonna stay there for a while? I mean, obviously we might cut this out if it's gonna be. <laughs>
1: No, ultimately I go through times where I think that there's going to be, I can see a, a job outside of the kind of publishing structure, but then I feel like I want to be in the world. I guess the one world word that I come back to is journalism because where you're working with writers and news and reporting and, and kind of, uh, cultural issues and like culture reflecting the culture at a certain time. Um, and so I feel like, but I feel like you could work on different clients like that and i've always had an interest in um packaging for um movies or television shows or like setting up something with the film titles that kind of stuff fascinates me too i think it has kind of an editorial bent Mm. so i think i think within the next year or two i i hopefully will find another challenge Mm -hmm. to take on
0: yeah and what about um People say, is there a book in you? Is there a magazine, another magazine? Is there a magazine in you in terms of starting a magazine? Because if you've got a huge amount of skill and talent and experience. I guess
1: I still am kind of under the, I don't know if it's my training, but I still am not as I'm not comfortable sort of like dreaming up some content, like starting my own magazine and just doing, I wanted to do this, I want to do that, I want to say this. I still like the process of someone like coming to me with something Mm -hmm. and saying, I'm trying to figure this out, or here's this story that needs a cover or here's this, you know, and then I kind of react to it and go through it all.
0: Well, look, Chris, it's been fantastic catching up with you again here in um, yes. in New York, and I've loved our conversation, and, I'm, and I look forward to um, catching up again with you very soon.
1: All right, man. Nice to see you.
0: See you, man. Cheers. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about Designing Your Life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective.